St. Paul said to the Corinthians, If I speak in human and angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. In other words, if he or you and I speak with malice, hate, and a deliberate desire to hurt others, then our words will be ineffective. Brothers and sisters, this morning I want to speak with you candidly and honestly as a priest and as a citizen of this country about the recent events surrounding the law signed into effect in the state of New York, the very thankfully defeated proposal in Virginia, and in general the state of discourse regarding the most fundamental right of our most precious citizens the child in the womb of a mother. And as I discuss this, let it be clear that love must motivate the work we do on behalf of the unborn, the work we do on behalf of women who are challenged in a polarized country to make that decision between life and death for their children, and the love we must have for those women and families who struggle with the devastating effects of the decision for abortion. When we fail to love, as St. Paul speaks of so beautifully in today's second reading, we fail to create a culture of life and love, and instead we reinforce a culture of death and hate. Now squeezed into St. Paul's lengthy description of love that we hear so often at weddings, is a key phrase. It, that is love, does not seek its own interests. In a sense, this description of love could not be more radically opposed to the definition of love promoted by the pro-choice movement in America. Having worked on the front lines of this battle in our country for some time now, I can attest to a glaring dichotomy that exists between the rhetoric versus the reality. Few women truly enjoy the right to abortion in the sense that we get joy or pleasure from a good steak or a piece of cake. Rather, many of them have a sense of confidence that if things are difficult, If a boyfriend leaves because he is a coward, if a woman is abused by a coward, or if she's on the verge of a career breakthrough in a culture that does largely not respect her, she at least has the perceived comfort and knowledge that she does not have to bring a child into the world. Now again, she does not relish this fact. She does not take great joy in it but rather acknowledges that if her back is against the wall, she does have options. What the pro-choice rhetoric proposes is that this option is a right, and that the right to abortion is her guarantee of equality with men. It's a guarantee to give her equal footing and to break through a glass ceiling, and to deny her the right 
to abortion is sexist. Deny her that right is patriarchal. And finally, it's just mean. Don't believe me? I challenge you to sit down with a Planned Parenthood activist or one of the anti-pro-life protesters at the March for Life. I've done this numerous times, and this is exactly the rhetoric you're going to get. But at its core, this debate is not about rights, but about changing the definition of love. If love truly does not seek its own interests, then it is unthinkable that someone would want to kill a child. But if love is really just about self-acceptance and doing what feels good, then the obvious choice is that which is much more comfortable and permits the individual the, the least amount of pain and the most amount of pleasure. And last time I checked, though I'm a male, birth is not exactly a pleasure cruise for the ladies. And the psychological and financial toll of child rearing is ever increasing. But again, the idea that this debate is about rights is a sham. This is about changing the fundamental understanding of love from being heroically sacrificial and generous and life-giving to being unwaveringly selfish and sterile. This is about doubling down on a worldview that says pleasure is our God, the state has all the answers, and you must not challenge this worldview. So what can we do to combat this sterile and selfish worldview? The first reading today from the prophet Jeremiah, so providential that it falls on the fourth Sunday in ordinary time in year C, at this time in our culture. The prophet Jeremiah reminds us that God has known us before we were formed in the womb, and that we are dedicated to be prophets to the nations. And this is where the rubber hits the road for us as a church. Before you are a Republican, a Democrat, before you are an American, and in our case, proud Texans, you are a Catholic Christian. Location of birth, place of residence, these are accidents of circumstance in history. But the indelible mark on your soul as a baptized Christian is part of your immortal life. To be prophets to the world, this is what you are tasked with in your baptism. To help our Lord to fulfill his desire to baptize all nations, this is not an easy task. It is not popular, as the gospel reminds us, Jesus himself suffered through preaching to a people who did not want to hear the truth. In preaching the truth of love and the pro-life teaching of the church will be a source of persecution. Make no mistakes about it. And it will lead to the real loss of friends and even family. But this is what our Lord told us would happen if we actually follow him. He said it. The world will hate you. Because they hate me. So in order to be prophets to the world, 
to support a culture of life and love and not a culture of death and hate, I want to encourage you to do a few things. First, know your facts. Know your facts. I've had the pleasure of talking with a parishioner from here for this past week, and it's been a great dialogue about knowing what our facts actually are. And you don't have to have a PhD in philosophy, an MD, or a JD to understand law and to understand words. But you do need to do your homework. Because we live in a clickbait, info-driven world that says a lot of things that are untrue. The current bill in New York, for example, has ambiguity built into its language that permits a tremendous amount of subjectivity that could, and we pray this never happens. We pray and we hope, and I doubt sincerely that this would happen with great regularity, but we pray because permitted in that language is enough ambiguity such that if a woman finds out as she's delivering or weeks prior to deliver, scheduled delivery, her child has a deformed hand or her child's hair color is not that which she desires and this could cause her emotional duress, if she has the right doctors in the room, she can take the life of that child with their help. So we have to know our facts. We have to see what's out there and assess with the greatest guidance we can to make bold but real decisions. Politics do have consequences, folks. Second thing you can do is get involved at the grassroots level and put some skin in the game. As a church, we do great at passive activity. All of you, and this is not a condemnation, I join you in this, a lot of us pray rosaries for an end to abortion in our country. And that's good. But when have you actually volunteered at a pregnant crisis pregnancy center? When have you given care to a mother or newborn children? Not because the church told you to, but because you knew there was a woman in your neighborhood who just brought a child into the world, and you know she could use the help. Or maybe there's a family in this parish that you know struggles to make ends meet. Make ends meet. Giving them life and love in those moments is critical. But one of the greatest signs of love you can show is to get in the front lines by doing some kind of sacrifice of your time that puts you in touch with women and men who are struggling with their past choice of abortion. I promise you, I had the pleasure of doing this. It is one of the most powerful things you can do to understand this debate and know that there are real people involved with these decisions. Thirdly, this may be the most difficult in the age we live in, is don't shame and hate folks for a difference of opinion, but invite them into a dialogue. Listen, I'm going to be honest, most people are very ignorant when it comes to this discussion. I'm not being mean, I'm being honest. If you read Reddit, if you read Twitter, if you read Facebook, so much Passion goes into bad arguments. It's almost sickening. So much wasted time and breath and, you know, digital warrior time. And it doesn't resolve a thing. Respectfully, 
privatize your conversations. If you're having an ongoing debate on your social media, maybe time to say, hey, you want to give me a call or I'll give you a call? And don't just text, because texting leaves a lot of ambiguity, but actually talking to each other. But more importantly, actually listening to each other. The media has a bad habit of making people and ideology the same. And it's just not true. Lead with love and see where things go. Brothers and sisters, as long as we accept the idea that love is just about feelings and mostly about feeling good, whatever good is according to your completely subjective and individual understanding, then we will continue to see this debate rage on and the destruction of innocent human life will only be secondary to our feelings. Sadly, it's not even primacy of those children. It's about our feelings first. If we continue to accept this sad definition of love, we will continue to see our country embrace laws that will destroy lives of men and women and rob the most vulnerable and innocent citizen of its fundamental right to life. If we embrace this definition of love that says it's just about feelings, we will continue to embrace a culture of death and hate because life and love are just too hard. But if we can agree that love will and does require sacrifice, sometimes heroic sacrifice, like the case of St. Gianna Mola, somebody you should all learn about, and we agree that love requires generosity, then we'll start to move the needle. As St. Thomas Aquinas said, love is to will the good of the other. That means love always looks outside of itself. It's not subjective. It's about the other. It's about the object, about the person. It seeks, that is, love seeks to do what is truly good for the, uh, for the other, and nothing is more loving than giving and protecting life. Our heroes are our moms and our dads. Our heroes are our combat veterans who go out to protect our lives. Our heroes are our first responders. And what are they doing? What is their most simple job description? To protect life. So dear brothers and sisters, let our words and more importantly, our actions, not be banging gongs and clashing cymbals, but truly words and acts of love that don't seek to promote ourself, but rather seek first God. And because God loves us, we'll be able to love our neighbor with that heroic, sacrificial, and generous love that brings about a culture of life.